the IMDb Journey podcast, where we break down every movie from the top 250 and give our thoughts, our reviews, and any general discussion along the way. My name is Daniel Henderson, and I'm pretty sure this episode is going to go for longer than this film. And my name's Dan Jeffrey, and I'm pretty sure if I played pool with explosives, I'd be dead instantly. There's no denying that at all. <laughs> and today I'll be breaking down the Buster Keaton classic Sherlock Jr. I keep going to say Buster Scruggs. Just got that on the brain, do you? Just I really do. I don't that know much why. much of an awesome film. Yeah, like, I don't even like it. <laughs> <laughs> now, Dean, how are you, fella? Good, mate. How are you? I'm all right, mate. Good. <laughs> How's life? Life's good. Done anything exciting lately? Uh, was my wife's birthday recently, my lovely wife. Yeah, we had a good time. We went out and we took the kids to the zoo. Jurassic Park, I think I saw. Uh, Zoo-rassic is what it's called. Never even heard of it. What is it? It's uh, pretty much uh, a display with the, uh, on the side of the zoo where they have these real life- Not real life. No, real life. They are real Please life. Please continue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> these real do- life dinosaurs. <laughs> they look bloody real. They're, they're, made by, uh, they're made with this sort of- I don't know, synthetic. Uh, yeah, they're like animatronics yeah. dinosaurs. Yeah, yeah, and they're great. Like you weren't, you weren't allowed to touch them apparently. But uh, I think I got a sneaky touch in on the T Rex there. Classic Hendo. <laughs> Breaking the, the rules. Get the sneaky touch in. It's like they had the uh, the Brachiosaurus, I believe, and it was massive. Like it was so big. Well, they are pretty big, Hendo. Yeah, but I have never seen one up close and personal. <laughs> So it shocked me a little bit. No, really, really good. You got a good a good view of the uh, underside of its chin, did you? Among other things. Whoa. <laughs> so that's why they're called long neck. <laughs> no, that was really fun and entertaining. We also took the safari around again. You know, saw the giraffes and the rhinos and that. What's well, pretty fun when we were trying to leave and we had five giraffes on the road, weren't letting us go by, so we had to wait for them to casually stroll away. Bastards. Those, those bastards. They act like it's their paddock. <laughs> The nerve. I know. And what did you do this week, mate? Back well, out for golf? Yeah, played golf Saturday and had a shocking, shocking day. I stopped scoring. So you had a day. I stopped scoring after the first round. I was no, I'm not scoring today. I was playing that badly. It wasn't funny. After the first. The first you one. You just gave up I on gave the first up. one. All right. That's it, just, no, that's in truth, In truth, I was trying a new app on the phone where you, it measures like distance, counts your shots, all that sort of thing. But- you just you have to be on your phone the whole time, and I was like, "Fuck this!" I, I like putting my phone away for it. Yeah, and I was nah. So once I stopped, I was like, "Nah, I'm I'm done. Let's just have a hit today." So it was good though, good fun. I remember when I used to work at a country club, uh, we used to get free golf. So I went out with one of the boys there, and the first hole we did it was a par three or par four, and I got four, and I was like, "Holy shit! This is going to be my best game I've ever played in my life." Moved on to the next one. And it was. <laughs> I stopped right there. I have never played another <laughs> hole. <laughs> we went to the next hole. It was a par three. Chipped it 30. right. 30. <laughs> chipped it right out of the green. I'm like, here we go. And then putted nine times. I'm like, that's all. Okay. It's all right. Take a breath. Let's go to the next one. Par five. Shanked into the bush. I'm, like, I'm done. Go to the bar. I'm left. <laughs> that's it. I'm going to the 19th. <laughs> all right, Hendo. What else are we doing today? Well, after the breakdown of Sherlock Jr., we'll be checking out a couple of reviews that you, the listeners, have given, and then we'll be going to our new competition. Yes, we're very excited. We are getting you, the listeners, involved even more. We've got giveaways. Giveaway- giveaways, Giveaways Hendo. is a good word. We've got giveaways. That's right. We've got so- some new merch, new merch coming out for everyone. Yeah, so we'll get to that later on in the podcast. And then after that, we'll be looking at the results of our Pod V Pod 21 against Brenton and Danielle in our True Crime Films draft. And then after that, we'll be taking a look at the final eight in our best 1970s film tournament. Man, there's going to be some 
epic battles there. Yes, nice. And then usually at that point, we talk about the next movie we're going to be watching, but we're going to do that a little bit earlier on in the podcast because we've got a, a little announcement for something that's going to be coming up soon. Hmm. Yes, that will come on the other side of our breakdown of Sherlock Jr. But before we get into that, let's take a look at the numbers currently for the Movie Watcher Challenge. I'm winning. I'm winning. And as it is first to 500 now, at the time of this recording, I am sitting at 297 to Paul's 347. So it is a flat 50 ahead. He's not going to let up. No, and you need to stop being such a pussy about it and start watching some more movies. I'm not taking any advice from the guy who's watched like two films in the last fortnight. I just clocked in over a hundred films for the year. Thank you very much. Oh, go on, give it up, give it up for this guy. Well done. I'm pretty well done. sure if you add mine and your numbers against Paul and Wayne's, <laughs> then we're, we're in front. <laughs> That's right. That's how it is. Yeah, it's like a guys. <laughs> give me the update. All right, Hendo, what, what sort of movers and sliders have we got in the top 250? Hardly any. This is a very quick one. Let's do it. Endgame has dropped from 17 to 19, and that's about it. Legit. Legit? No yes. new entries? No one's well, dropping Well, Infernal out. Affairs has dropped out for some strange reason. Yeah, we knew that, though. Knights of Kiberia dropped out, and in its spots were Drisham and Winter Sleep, right at the bottom. Huh. That is the end of the update. Nice. Short and sweet. All right, before we get into our epic breakdown of Sherlock Jr., please remember we will be spoiling the absolute shit out of it from the jump. So if you do not want to know about the epic twists and turns of this film, stop listening because we will ruin this whole movie for you. I know there's been a lot of discussion about uh, Sherlock Jr. spoilers out there at the moment, and I know you guys have been keeping a bay. You're keeping away from your Twitter feeds about hashtag Sherlock spoilers. But just remember, this film is nearly 95 years old. I think, yeah, you say that like it's funny, but I think really you can only openly spoil a film when it hits the 100-year mark. I think once we get to the 100-year mark, we're okay. All right, let's talk about 1922's The Kid. That's still not 100 years. I know. I've ruined it for everyone. Let's talk about The Garden. Trip to the moon. Now, all right, Dana, let's get into it. Released in 1924, starring Buster Keaton, Catherine Maguire, Joe Keaton, Erwin Connolly, and Ward Crane. And that is literally it. Directed by Buster Keaton. Of course. Of course. This was originally titled The Misfit. How do you think that works into the film? I mean, it plays. He is a misfit. Do you think Sherlock Jr. is a better title? Oh, for sure. You get to steal all that cool Arthur Conan Doyle Very good. notoriety. Yes. Yeah. So Buster Keaton had initially hired Roscoe Fatty Arbuckle as his co-director for the film. Do you know who Fatty Arbuckle is? I know he's an idol of Buster Keaton's and he did want to get into filmmaking because of, uh, is his name Fatty Arbuckle? Mm. Fatty Arbuckle. <laughs> is it really? Fatty Arbuckle. His, Arbuckle. his nickname is Fatty. Fats. Because he was so skinny. It's got to be. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> No, Arbuckle's career was at a standstill at this point after being falsely accused of raping Virginia. Wow, her last name is R A P P E. I mean, her first name's even Virginia. I mean, come on. You can't write this stuff. <laughs> falsely accused of raping Virgin. <laughs> 
formerly Virginia. (laughs) Wow. No, rape is not funny. Uh, During that scandal and the court case, Arbuckle had lost his mansion and cars and was in debt for $750,000, which would have been massive back in the early 20s. Yep. So Buster Keaton wanted to help out his good friend, and he hired him under the pseudonym William Goodrich. It's Goodrich. It's great that uh, times have really moved on from, you know, Hollywood scandals and whatnot. Yeah, and they keep, you know, helping out these people who are within these uh, sexual scandals. So they did begin filming, and Arbuckle was happy to be back on the set. But after Keaton corrected a mistake that Arbuckle had made, his attitude changed dramatically. He became angry and abusive on the set. He was yelling at actors, and according to Keaton, he became... Quite rapey. (laughs) (laughs) Flushed and mad that the scandal just changed his disposition. Fair enough. See you later, fats. So Sherlock Jr. was also Buster Keaton's most complicated film for the special optical effects and in-camera tricks. Keaton later said that they spent an awful lot of time getting those scenes. Filming took four months, while typically it took Keaton two months to finish a feature film. So just for those extra scenes alone, it took double the time of a regular film that he'd he'd do. Hmm. The editing was also very difficult and took longer than a typical Keaton film. He later told a film historian that every cameraman in the business went to see that picture more than once, trying to figure out how the hell they did some of those shots. Yeah, which makes sense. I actually read that um, it's been called one of the best edited films of all time. Yeah, I can see for a, especially for a film from 1924. I mean, that's yeah, you've got to put it into context. Yeah. Like it's incredible. Like I was, I was surprised watching this film. This film was also selected for the National Film Registry, in the Library of Congress, in 1991. Makes sense. It also won an Oscar. Would you believe it? Must be for some sort of backdated Hall of Fame style Oscar, since they weren't. Starting till like 29, 30? It won an honorary Oscar in 1960. For best film of 1921? 24, maybe. It just wins an honorary Oscar. Like, it doesn't have a category. Okay. There's no nominees. Like, you're up for an honorary Oscar. Shit, you lost again. (laughs) (laughs) It's just nice to be nominated. Yes. And just quickly on Buster Keaton. Buster's not actually his real name. He actually came up with it himself and is actually believed to be the first person to use Buster as a name, popularising it for years to come. That's some uh, good trivia you've uh, searched for, Dean. (laughs) I mean, that's what you got? Okay. I mean, it's not the worst. Thank you. And this film does have an average of 8.2 over 33 thousand ratings and it's currently sitting at number 174 on the top 250 list quite a recent debut i must add this debuted into the list during the time we started podcasting this wasn't in the list prior oh really yeah that's odd like for a movie that old like what would have changed more people voting they must have changed how they i think we discussed that when it came in let's listen to that but we actually have an inclusion of a new film debuting. It is the 1924 Buster Keaton film Sherlock Jr. And it is in the list now number 150. I imagine it's come into this list now because it has finally cracked the minimum amount of ratings that it needs. Oh, I thought you were going to say that people um, accidentally saw that movie instead of seeing um, Sherlock Gnomes. If they saw Sherlock Gnomes <laughs> and gave it such a great review, I'm a little bit worried about them. <laughs> Ah, funny then, funny now. Classic. All right, it's my turn for a plot summary this week. I'll try and make it uh, shorter than the film. A film projectionist longs to be... And you're done. (laughs) 
longs to be a detective and puts his meager skills to work when he is framed by a rival for stealing his girlfriend's father's pocket watch. Yes, well done. Thank you. Let's get into it, Dean. This big breakdown. Yeah, so 44 and a half minutes long this movie is. Yes, it is. What'd you make of that? Awesome. <laughs> it is good to do a very short movie. It felt really weird watching a movie on YouTube, I must say. Yes, this movie is free for everyone out there on YouTube. And we'll put a link to it in the show notes. If anyone wants to actually go out and listen to it, watch it, maybe. You don't listen to silent films, Hendo. You don't listen to the, the nice music? It's no. Would you, would you watch it on mute? I mean, I could. Wouldn't really affect anything. Well, you're not going to get that sad violin which playing. Is a, which is actually quite weird because even while I was watching, I watched it during the day and my three kids were running around. And there were points when I was like, shut up! <laughs> I'm trying to watch a movie! <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, I was like, uh, yeah, I could just mute this. Oh, I didn't hear what he said. <laughs> you have to rewind it. Now i got to pause it. But no, the movie does start with an old proverb that says, you can't do two things at once and expect to do justice to both. This is a story of someone trying to do that, basically. Pretty much. And we get the projectionist, as he's known in this film, studying to be a detective. I mean, can we just, we're calling him Buster, aren't we? Yeah, I'm okay with that. Good. Yeah, this theatre got me thinking about theatres. What would they have been like in the 1920s? Like, how many movies were actually coming out in the 1920s? Lots. Lots? I'd say a lot more in terms of what's coming out now at the cinema. Like, cinema would have been, like, you're not going to be able to see it anywhere else. So, there'd be there'd be heaps you'd be able to go see. They'd be churning them out all the time. If they're going for 40 minutes, 45 minutes, why not? Interesting. I, th- I think... I. Th- you think there's a lot of movies that came out in the 20s? In terms of films, like the ratio. Because I could, I could see like one movie coming out and being at one theatre for a month and that's the only movie it would show. Hmm, I don't know. I feel like if you're talking about the ratio of films going to the cinema then as opposed to now, because there's streaming, there's... Well, where else were they going back then? Exactly. That's why I said... That's, I reckon- that's not an argument like, oh, the ratio of things. They were only going to the cin- cinema back then. There's no ratio back then. Yeah, so I reckon there'd be more to go see. Yeah, because they're making a lot less. No, I feel like these companies or these people, they'd be if they're taking a film that goes for 45 minutes or to an hour, they'd be able to make more. More in, in less time. Yeah, I, I think you're so wrong. But that's well, okay. Unfortunately, I mean, if we, they, unfortunately, we can't go back and check this, can if we? They, if they are going to a theatre to see a 45-minute film, there must be something else happening. Double feature. Even then, like... Triple feature. <laughs> <laughs> like, maybe. Yeah. Like, going to the theatre would have been a big event, like, get your suit and bow tie on. You wouldn't be going to the theatre in thongs and a singlet, would you? In the 20s, you wouldn't. Exactly. I would now. Yeah, but you're an Aussie slob. I I prefer to think of myself as a good Aussie battler. No, you're not a battler. You're a schlub. Schlub. (laughs) Schlubbing it with your thongs and beater. Sometimes not even the thongs. Uh, Just so everyone's clear, thongs are flip-flops. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> I just I just realised. Uh, yeah, Aussie slang thong is a shoe, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That being said, I still won't wear my undies sometimes for you Americans. Oh, I'm glad you said for you Americans and not for you and left it at that. <laughs> One thing I didn't like was that the title cards fade into each other, like the text title cards were fading into each other. So there were points where you couldn't read either. Maybe this was innovative for the time. Well, that's legitimately what I thought. I thought... They've obviously probably just discovered how to do this and they're like, oh my God, this is the coolest thing ever. Let's do it all the time. Well, I think that might be playing true. Like later on when he falls asleep and like his dream self 
comes out of his body. That's crisscrossing the same or different shots in yeah. the same spot. Yeah. And what do you think of him sitting here with his fake mustache? Is that a straight up reference to Sherlock Holmes? Oh, I'm not sure. Yeah. I thought you might have known. I have no idea. Yeah, I don't know. Does he is he's not known for a mustache, is he? Sherlock? I, I don't know. The old the old school Sherlock. He's known Holmes. for a, what the Sherlock hat. Yeah. The pipe. The pipe, yeah, the pipe's good. The plaid. The plaid. The plaid works. Maybe a mustache. The horse and carriage. I don't think I don't think mustache. Okay. Watson? Watson. Did you just try to Newman Watson? <laughs> I went to do a uh, Deadwood. <laughs> Watson. Cocksucker. <laughs> no, but this guy, slacking off at work, he's supposed to be cleaning the bloody theatre and he's reading some detective book. Do it on your own time, mate. If you were his boss and you saw him reading a book while he should be cleaning this theatre, how would you react to this man? Um, I'd probably fire him because there's no union. <laughs> you can just do what you want. Yep, get out, you're done. So that'd be cool. But- I would have thought, maybe I just think far too highly of people in the 20s, but there's a lot of mess in this theatre. Like, is this a theatre or is this a party like like house? No, this is a theatre. <laughs> I wasn't wanting an answer. <laughs> oh, you were trying to do a joke. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's a theatre. Okay, thank you. That's how bad thank, your joke was. I didn't even cl- realise it was a joke. Thanks for that clarification. It's definitely sounded like you are asking a question there. All right, so he goes He goes over to the confectionery store. Yes. This was quite good. Seeing the $1 chocolate box as opposed to the $3 chocolate box. Yep, I like this. And I like the way he goes back to the pile of rubbish and- He finds a, he finds a dollar in there. Oh, what do you make of the, uh, the sticky paper that he had on that he was trying to take off? And every time he would move it from one hand to another, then back onto his foot and then his other foot- to the point where he times it perfect so the guy who's walking out steps on it and takes off his hand. Yeah, I didn't like that. No? No, did you? I mean, that's just basic slapstick. Yeah. You like that? Well, for a film in the 20s where they have, they're doing a lot of slapstick, I think it played quite well. Yeah. No, I wasn't a fan. So he does end up finding a dollar in the trash. Yeah. And this young lady comes over looking for a dollar. He's like, describe it. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was funny. They do the dimensions and it's got the little the yeah. thing, yeah. So he's like, oh, okay. That's funny. All right. So he gives, he gives her the dollar. But did you notice that when she describes it, he pulls it out to look at it and she looks over his shoulder? Yeah, it's, yeah. he's not even hiding it from her. Right. Then we get the old lady coming saying she lost a dollar. <laughs> and he's like, oh, all right. So he gives this old lady his own dollar. Yes. So bravo. Then the guy comes over looking for the dollar. This massive guy. And Buster, I guess he did. He find another dollar in the no. He had two dollars, yeah. didn't he? So he gives him a dollar too. And the guy's like, pretty much nah. out, of, out of fear, gives it back to him. Yeah, it's like nah, and finds a wallet of cash in the rubbish, full of money. It was really funny. <laughs> That's unfortunate. So Buster has the one dollar, buys the cheap dollar candy, and changes the one to a four. Ingenious. It's good. I thought he was going to change it to eleven. It's a lot of money. Yeah. Then I realised that. Do you know what four dollars is? Uh, Inflation. Thank you. We're not doing inflation. $15. 15 bucks for a box of chocolate. That's impressive. It's not bad. I actually thought it'd be more from the 20s. But he goes to this woman's house. Yes. It took me a while to work out what was going on here. And yeah. to be honest, I still don't know. So he goes to the house. He gives her the box of chocolates. She seems relatively okay with it. He moves up a level, goes and sits down with her. And they have this whole little thing going on. That's fine. But then this other guy comes in with a painting and he goes to the next room with her. Yeah. Like, is it just like whoever can give her the best present gets her? Yeah, this girl. Is she a prostitute? I've never, I mean, I've looked up stuff about this movie. It's never, she's never referred to as anything but his girlfriend. Yeah. 
not much of a girlfriend. I mean, she just, like, he gives her the ring and she's like, oh, my gosh. She, like, tries to look at the diamond. That's right. She can't see the diamond. how dare you? Look at this guy. He's pining for you. He's doing the best he can. And you just want to be, you're just there for, the you know, the dollar bills. She just seems to be interested in the monetary stuff. Like, get rid of her. She's not interested in you. She's worried about who has the most money. Who's going to give her the most stuff? Basically stuff. Yeah. Yes. I mean, again, 1920s. Population is quite small, right? It doesn't look like they're in a city. Maybe she's like, maybe there's not a lot of options for young women. And she sort of has, I mean, she's not exactly good looking, is she? Not a lot of options. She's got two blokes pining after her, basically throwing stuff at her. Chocolate and diamonds and paintings and I think she's doing all right for herself. No, she is. But that's my point. Maybe there's not a lot of other women for the Uh, other men to be looking for at. Would they... In the 20s, they wouldn't have a lot of uh, well-written women in movies. I mean, the 1920s is like a man's world back in the day, so they're not going to make a very well-rounded woman in a film, are they? She seemed well-rounded. Damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, you're right. Um, Women are obviously there to be the the love interest, and that's about it. Mm -hmm. They're not exactly fleshed-out characters. But then (laughs) neither are the guys either, so... Did you know that the dad was actually Buster Keaton's dad? Yeah, I did say that. Joe Keaton. Joe Keaton. That's a good name. Joe Keaton. Anything with Keaton is a good name. It's true. Dean Keaton is. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Dean Keaton is Batman. Batman. I <laughs> oh, love it. So, we do get this guy, this thief, is what I shall for now be referring to him as. Yeah, apparently he's a sheik. I don't, I don't know what I that means. I don't know what sheik is. I even looked it up and I got a lot of like Arabic religious- 1920s thief. I got Arabic stuff and I quickly got out of it before. You got flagged for terrorism. <laughs> okay. So this thief comes in and steals the dad's pocket watch. Yes, in the other room while no one's there. Yeah. yeah. He goes to the pawn shop. That's P-A-W-N. And gets $4 for it. Very convenient. Yes. That a nice silver pocket watch- Goes for the same price as a box of candy. Well, that's not the price of the box of candy. He just wrote four dollars on it. Yeah, but there was a oh, there was a three dollar box. Mm. But it's it's all very it's very much the same, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It it is there for convenience sake. You talk about slapstick humor. What do you think of when he goes to get the banana and throw the banana peel down in front of the old thief, yeah. hoping that he would fall over? Yeah, and then does it himself. Oh boy! I mean, did you like that? You're into the slapstick. If only it had a whistle with it. As he fell over. Did you like it? Uh, I could see where it was going immediately, so no, not this yeah, one. I didn't. It's okay. Like, it probably played massively in, in the 25 20s. years. Everyone would have been like, oh, my God, that was amazing. You can, and you're right. You could just picture this theatre just erupting together. It's probably the first time a banana peel was ever slipped on on camera, sparking many injuries after that in real life. Do people slip on banana peels in real life? I've done it. How? Well, I work in retail, and there had, I'm sure there's been a banana peel somewhere. Where, like one little bit of it, I stepped on it, and I've, it's wet on the other side. You can slip on it like a like a busted grape. Oh, grapes are a nightmare. You don't know how much how much time we spend trying to avoid grapes on the floor at work. Mm. Like it's a big thing. Yeah, like hourly sweeps to avoid grapes. Always got the mats all oh, all, yeah, all mats the way around that. Grapes, yeah, yeah, to avoid them. But anyway, back to the movie. So this is where the dad comes in, realizes he's had his watch stolen. And Buster sits down and quickly pulls out his detective book. 
And this is this is pretty funny. But the thief, he's quite clever. He sort of reads over his shoulder and sees that one of the steps is search everybody. So he quickly just drops a watch into... He no, drops a, a receipt. Why did he keep the receipt? Is it Was keeping receipts a big thing back then? He bought the chocolate. Like, he had a buck left. Is he going to... How is he going to... I mean, I don't understand why he's got the receipt anymore. Who bought the chocolate? Sorry? The thief bought, uh, got the money for the watch, got his receipt. He went and bought the $3 box of chocolate with the money he just got. I thought he coming. bought a painting. No, no. It's the $3 box of chocolate. It's huge. Yeah. That's why it's $3. Wow. Yeah. It has a big picture of a, like a, of a woman on the front. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, why does he have the receipt still? If he's going back to the place he stole the, the thing from, why do you take the receipt? I, I wouldn't. To drive the plot. Yeah, I wouldn't think about that too much. I don't think that's unrealistic. No, it's not, but he's- To shove a receipt in your pocket. Like, you're not going to think, but if oh, he's, if he's I'm smart, about to get searched. If he's smart enough to drop the receipt in Buster Keaton's- uh, Pocket. Pocket. I mean, you could have just got rid of the receipt in the first place. Bit uh, sloppy there, old cheeky. Yeah, so Buster searches everyone, and then the thief says, let's search Buster. I love it when he tries to search the dad. He's like, it's my watch. <laughs> what are you searching me for? That was funny, actually. <laughs> anyway, he gets kicked out, told not to come back. And then we see the girl crying. Yes. Which, again, I didn't understand. Doesn't make any sense. I can't tell if she's even into Buster. <laughs> like, she acts like she's not, but then you get a scene of her crying. She happily went into another room with this guy. Who had something of better value to her. Yeah, didn't make sense. Buster, Buster gave her a $4 box of chocolate and a ring. Yeah. And this guy comes in with a $3 box of chocolate. She's like, wow, go for this guy. Well, they're trying to make a well-rounded character. Don't really work. Because of the chocolates. Ah. Uh. Because <laughs> of all the sugar. That's all right. <laughs> okay. But this this was a bit funny. This is slapsticky, but I quite liked it. The step five, shadow man closely. <laughs> Which is my... Excellent! Really? Yeah, I mean, this is a this is a 1920s slapstick comedy. This is the slapstickiest of comedy parts of this movie. And I really laughed at it. Like him right behind him, step by step, mimicking him, you know, stopping when he stops, backing when he backs. I thought it was great. Perfectly timed movements. Almost getting crushed by the train as well. Missing the stairs as he's not paying attention properly. Even when he gets up on top of the train and is running along that, obviously real. Buster Keaton is, you know basically a stuntman himself. He does all his own stunts. And the stunts of other actors. Exactly. This part where he jumps onto the hose, the big tube, whatever, and the water big, comes it's down. It's called a tap. A tap, whatever, big one. And the water f- floods him onto the ground. Did you know about anything about this? Yeah, I've, I've since read about it. Yeah. Uh, this threw him so far into the ground, so hard into the ground, that his neck slammed against the steel rail and caused him to black out. The pain was like so intense that he... Had to stop shooting later that day. Uh, he had blinding headaches for like weeks afterwards. Years. I'm talking throughout the filming of the movie. He kept going with it, even though he had all these blinding headaches. Yeah, and it wasn't until years later mm. that he had a routine. In- 1935. Had a routine inspection. Inspection? Check up. Check up. Yep. Um, with the doctor who did an x-ray on his neck and said, yeah, he's broken his neck. Broken or his he, neck. He had a fracture, yeah. Nine years earlier. Yeah, it's crazy. What a mental bastard. Yeah, he was mental. <laughs> But yeah, this whole scene, I think it was the best part. Slapsticky, funny. Even when he gets he gets drowned by the water, and then the bike comes through and gets drowned, and they chase after him. I had a little chuckle. It was good fun. Little chuckle. Little chuckle. Okay. Little chuckle. Worthy of excellent. Good. Anyway, so he's really wet. So he goes back to his theater job. Yes. Odd hours. This this theater <laughs> gig. But we see the woman, the girl. She goes to the pawn shop and she gets the man to describe the man who pawned the watch. Who Clear- just so happens to be walking past. Clearly a better detective than Sherlock. <laughs> yes. 
Just put it out there. <laughs> yeah. Just, I mean, seriously, just going, well, let's go to the pawn shop and uh, they yeah. say it wasn't me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So good on her. Good on her. But we see Buster up top in the projectionist room. Yep. And he falls asleep and the ghost buster <laughs> comes out. I never realized. Wow. Ghostbuster. The ghostbuster. Well, the ghost. That's awesome. The ghost version of Buster Keaton comes out of his body. Yes. Amazing effects for 1924. Absolutely. Like this was. This is revolutionary. When this happened, I was like, wow, bravo. Yep, he did well. Even like when he's out, it's not like, all right, now they're shooting this. He's transparent. Hmm. Yeah, it's really good. But I was watching I was watching Buster watch Glad. this I was watching Buster watch this movie and did you notice this movie had no title cards? Like all these people are talking, talking to there's no like pop up cards that say, Oh dear, why do you think that? You yeah. know? Is this a silent film or not? It's not a play, is it? It's oh, it's definitely a no, movie. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, maybe we just didn't see the uh title cards portion. But even this bit, this was very ring for me. Um, Buster jumps into the screen. The the actual Buster Keaton did say that his character walking onto that screen into the film was the reason for making this whole picture. He just wanted to do that one situation. It's so clever. Yeah. Like when that happened, I was like, wow. Like I was being wowed by a movie that came out you know, 95 years ago. Very impressive. Especially how the first time you see it, it is actually a film. But for this scene, it's they're actually there. Yeah, yeah. it's a cutout. They do this huge cutout. Make but you the could imagine like it. the audience in the twenties are going to go, "Whoa, I'm like, what? Yeah. That's crazy." Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, I just love the way that Buster Keaton plays with the format here. It's just clearly incredibly creative. Absolutely, and yeah, when he goes into this movie, oh, the scenes change dramatically. <laughs> like, what film were they watching? Right? Oh, that's what <laughs> that's what I was. That's exactly what I was watching and wondering. I'm like, so he's gone. It's just. Snap cuts so he's to on a the cliff snow, face. to the mountains. To- he's surrounded by lions. There's <laughs> deserts. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's funny. He's on a rock in the ocean. I actually thought this did get a bit long. Uh, yeah, it went too long, this bit. This actually was unique at the time because there was a continuity to the scenes and the strategy had rarely been used by filmmakers before. Keaton and his cameraman were able to do this by using surveyor equipment and they positioned Keaton and the camera at exactly the right distances and positions to get that illusion of continuity. Mm. In in ingenious, innovative. I'm just gonna throw something out here and you can shoot me down, but I will. I thought at one point I noticed that the camera doesn't move. Does it move? What do you mean? So many of the scenes the camera does not move at all. I don't it's think just- it, I don't think it does because they need that to be perfectly positioned. Yeah. Okay. If, they, if they're moving it all the time, it's gonna it's gonna go off. Yeah. So they just leave it in the right spot. Okay. But this is essentially where the film is now. This is the film within the film. This is another innovative thing that this Sherlock Jr. movie is about. This is probably, I'm almost certain this will be the first time we've had a film within a film. I did not realise that this was a drain. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Did you just think all of a sudden he woke up and he was Sherlock? I don't know what I thought. Yeah, I guess I did. I thought I thought that he woke up and then decided to get in character of Sherlock. I thought, honestly, I thought it was a different character, not even though it was played by the same person, I thought it but was. But all a- the characters in this film are played by the same people in the real life. The Sheik is the bad guy. The girl is the girl. Yeah, I realise that. But when I'm watching this, I thought this wasn't a film within a film. I thought he woke up after we saw him go into the screen. So you, so by the time he wakes up out of his sleep, I was as a blown away. You're like, oh my god, this was whole thing was a dream. Yes, <laughs> I'm not even kidding. <laughs> so you got that whole. Wow, it's a dream. But you hate dreams. This was a twist ending for me. 
I joked about it at the start. This really was like, wow. Oh, man. That's that's seeing it in such a completely different way. Yeah, I was really surprised. Wow. I just thought, well, it's the 20s. He's a huge star. He can play multiple people and it's not a big deal. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I didn't see that at all. I the, the, It kept going. And I'm like, okay, he, this is him dreaming of being Sherlock Jr., best detective in the world. And I, and looking at these characters, I could tell like, okay, that was the dad. That's the 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 guy who's helping him. There's the there's the sheik, the bad guy. What did you think of the story they had going here with uh, stealing the pearls? Yeah. Be, I think they become a bit more eviler as they go along here. I mean, they're stealing some pearls, and then they're talking about killing this guy. Yeah, I really liked it. It's good the way they set up all these things. We've got this, the traps, the thirteen ball, the axe coming down, the poison. Yep, just all this the slapsticky ways that he just casually avoids it all. It's great. Yeah, which is why it's my excellent. And that is a solid scene to pick as well. Like, there's so much, like, all of it. Like, the sitting on the chair gag yeah. where he keeps almost doing it. And the butler nearly sits on it later. You know, the, the poison drink switcheroo gag. Yep. Like, that is really funny. And then this pool scene. Oh, the pool. I'm watching, I'm just like, this guy's incredible at he pool. Pra- he practiced <laughs> for four months. He worked with a pool expert to learn all the tricks that they shot. It took him five days to film all the shots total to get it right. When he finished, all the best trick shots were filmed and cut together to make it look like he had one continuous game. And it looks like one shot. It does. It really does. And I'm not sure if that's because the quality is not as good and there's often like minuscule jumps and the pitch is not perfect. And they also cut back to the other two hiding behind the door going, oh, why isn't, we haven't heard an explosion yet. Yeah. 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 Really, really good. Did you notice the uh, title card when they cut to This the was one? funny. Oh, By man. the next day, the case was completely solved, except for finding of the pearls and the thief. <laughs> I, I read it just, hey, okay, cool. And it fell what? <laughs> <laughs> I had to go back and read it probably. I'm like, oh, that was awesome. Yeah. What about the fact that this uh, mirror isn't a mirror? He's like looking and he's like doing his, uh, his shirt up, whatever, in front of the mirror. And he just walks through it. Did you pick up on that? No, I don't remember it. He's in the house. He's standing in front of what looks like a mirror with his, his, his Watson. I'm guessing it's Watson, you know, adjusting his tie and that. And he's like, cool. And he walks straight through it's it. It's not Watson. It's Gillette. That's it. Gillette. But, you know, Watson, Sherlock, whatever. G- Gillette, the Watson of the movie. And then it, the next part is there's this huge, what looks like a safe on the wall. Yeah, and I know the safe. Yeah, and then he opens that and he walks outside. That was funny. There's a door outside. Yeah. <laughs> so he's following the, the thief and he ends up uh, on the roof. What do you think of this stunt where Buster Keaton is on the roof and he rides the, the train rail down straight into the car? Yeah, well done. Perfectly well-timed. Yeah, I mean, it was well-timed. Uh, you know, I know Buster, <laughs> Buster Keaton is... I'm not, like... It's not deliberate. Like, I just, I'm thinking Buster Scruggs. Um, I know Buster Keaton is known for his stunts. And at this point, like, we'd seen one stunt, but really, I was expecting, I went into this expecting a stunt movie the whole way through. Okay. And I was surprised that there was so much plot and comedy to it. Do you know his biggest, most famous stunt? The, is it the wall falling down? Yeah. And he, it like he goes inside the window and it like brushes his hair or something. He stands in the perfect spot so yeah. that the small little window at the top yep. of the the wall falls right yep. on him. I think that's uh, in the general. Oh, okay, yeah, which is also on the top two fifty. Fair enough. So he follows the thief to his hideout, I guess, a, a place with all these other people. And the thief has this like contraption where this other detectives in there in the back room, and he's like, oh, when he's done, you're going in there. Yeah. 
Like, whoa, Jesus. Like, that got dark. Yeah. <laughs> but what is this thing that was on the back of the car? Is this a, something that has a dress in it? And that is Gillette on the back of the car, isn't it? Yeah. I didn't I didn't get that at the start. When, he, when they were driving, I'm like, who's this guy? Then I realised, oh, no, it's his uh, assistant bloke. Yeah. And they have this random thing that has a dress in it. It's great. It like, works perfect. I realised why they have it. It's that 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 bit, that that 20-second bit was nearly my favourite scene. Because I, like, even though it's stupid and it's silly, it's so genius. The way it's so timed and he jumps through the window into this dress and he's Can just- Can I just quickly stop you there? That shot where he jumps through the window, the entire wall has been taken out. Was that on purpose? Yeah, that's that's another like innovative trick here. Like you're seeing inside the building, even though the walls there. Like they've made that wall transparent. Are they trying to just make it like this is a movie? You're, what you're watching is a movie right now. Yeah. Okay. Because I was watching. I'm like, was that a mistake? Like, oh no, I I really enjoyed that part of it. Okay. Cool. It's also good because you see him in normal clothes jump through the window into the dress. Yes, so that was great. It's not like. Oh, he's in the dress and he jumps through and it's cut. Of course, yes. Yeah. You know. It wouldn't make any sense if he just jumped out the window, he's in a dress. Yeah. But this shot of him diving through Gillette in the dress. Yeah, I read a lot about this. Yes, I was so I confused. I still have no idea how okay. they did it. So the wall behind them, how this Gillette guy is, he's actually horizontal when he dives through. He is like... His head in that is out of the wood, but he is on some sort of platform so laying he's, flat. He's laying down with his head up straight. Yeah. And when Buster Keaton dives like through fake there, shoes and pants and yeah, stuff. Yeah, he dives there. through the dress and then he comes down like on a, a hinge. Yeah. And then gets himself into position. At the the back of it locks up and he comes out like he's just been standing there the whole time. Yeah, it's very well done. It is very good. I, when I saw him, like I have no idea how this happened. Yeah. And, yeah, I had to read, like, three different things. I'm like, I don't understand. I wish there was, like, a making of. You got to see the whole thing. Yeah. The making of would be longer than the film, though. <laughs> like, it really would. If you think about all these stunts and stuff in it this would. film. It would. Yeah. We get this motorbike sequence. Some of these little stunts were good. Yeah, not bad. Not bad. In the shot where Gillette gets bucked off the back of the car, the motorbike, sorry, that was actually Buster Keaton. Yeah. Yeah, doing it himself. Saw that. There was a shot where the motorbike skidded and smashed into two cameras and knocked over the Gillette character and threw uh, Buster Keaton into a nearby car. Committed to his job. That's what he's doing. And he is. Written, Butler is perv. Yeah, Butler looks rapey as fuck here undoing his bow tie. Yeah, not a. It's a weird, it's a weird look. I mean, there's, it's no, there's no other point in this movie where this happens. No, no, it is, it is out of place. But Sherlock saves her, flies through the window and kicks. He's like, that was great. Yeah. And we bring the eight, the thirteen ball back. He's had it the whole time. He uses it to what does he do? Blows up the car that uh, is chasing him. Yeah, and then they get into the water, <laughs> slam the brakes on so fast that the the frame of the car flies into the water like a boat. <laughs> Funny. Was they turn the car into a sailboat, and they drown, and then oh wow, it was all a dream. Returns to his sad life. <laughs> it was all a dream that we knew about from the start, except for Dean. And the girl comes back, says, "Oh, they made a mistake. Everything's right in the world again." Oh, and then, yeah, then yeah, we get this, this scene where this he's end. watching the movie on how to like interact, and so he like holds her hand, kisses her hand, touches her face, kisses her on the lips. Yeah. And then he turns around and then fades cut to them with like five kids and married. He's like, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. That, that was, was good. a good end. It was, it was a solid end to the, the film. Any last words? All right, Dean, what's your final thoughts for Sherlock Jr.? I enjoyed it. Uh, it's You've obviously got to accept that it was made in 1924. Mm-hmm. 
Buster Keaton has a lot of charisma. It was genuinely funny in parts. It was better made than I definitely expected. At the end of the day, I had fun watching it. So short and sweet, like the movie, I give it three stars. Okay. What about you, Hendo? I'm surprised at how much I enjoyed this film. I thought the fact that it was going to, that it goes for 45 minutes, I was like, oh, what's there going to be with this film? Why is this film in the top 250 for, if it goes for this short? Yeah. The time it uses is very effective. They don't skip a beat in this film. Buster Keaton, he's solid as a, you know, as a physical actor, yep. as a director, an innovative director, and some of the stuff he does in this film, which hadn't been done in any film before. It's great. Like, watch it through that lens of, of filming from 1924. It's incredibly impressive. Absolutely. It's downright funny in certain points. Some of the slapstick nails, some of it doesn't. I enjoyed the film in the film. Again, like you, I, I, it's it's funny. It's a good time. It's not amazing. It's good. Yeah, I it enjoyed good. it. I could easily watch it again, but I'm not going to rush out and see it. I'm not going to tell everyone, oh, you got to check this film out. It's so good. It's just really thoroughly enjoyable and three stars for me too. Yeah. I was the best because the crowd loved me. All right, Dean, where is this going to sit on your rankings? Well, for me, I'm going to jump straight to City Lights, the Charlie Chaplin silent film, which I think I think this is better than City Lights. Next up, it comes against Some Like It Hot, and I don't think it's better than Some Like It Hot. Okay. So I'm going to put it at number 32 out of 38 that we've done. Okay. Uh, I'm going to start down at the bottom. It is better than Hachi. There's no question about that. It's better than A Beautiful Mind. And that's where it stops. I don't think it's as good as Wild Tales. So I'm going to put Sherlock Jr. as my new number 36 of 38. Fair enough. So what's next? Now, normally we save this for the end of the podcast where we discuss what film we're going to be watching next. But we are going to be doing a breakdown next week instead of the week after because... There's a little film coming out soon called Toy Story 4, and we decided, why not get in on this? So let's go and break down Toy Story 3. Yes, so for the first time in a long time, we will have back-to-back breakdowns leading up to Toy Story 4. Yeah, it's going to be weird doing back-to-back breakdowns. I'm used to doing a breakdown and coming in and nailing a quiz or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good joke, Hendo. Oh. (laughs) I mean, we could could go on about this. No, but next week we are going to be doing Toy Story 3. All right, we're going to take a short break here and give you a promo from our good buddies, Aaron and Patrick from the Feel and Film podcast. Now, I recommend you go check those guys out. They do a little spin on their podcast where they focus more on the emotional side of the story rather than the technical side. Hmm, all about the emotions. Yeah, so definitely go and check out their podcast as well. And a big thank you to the both of them for becoming one of our latest patrons. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I just wanted to say, guys, that um, I feel... Very happy that you guys have become a patron and this uh, generous money will, uh, it's just hit me in the feels. Say feel one more time. Feels. <laughs> <laughs> nah, thanks guys. Check out their promo. Hey everyone, I'm Aaron. And I'm Patrick. And together we host the Feel and Film Podcast, a show that focuses more on the emotional takeaway from a movie experience rather than its technical merit. Yes, sir. Talking about what we love about film and focusing less on the critical side of things makes for a very entertaining and enjoyable discussion. New episodes drop every Monday morning, and you can catch them on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many other podcasting networks. You can also find out more about the show at feelandfilm.com. In the meantime, as we say on the show, stay positive and keep feeling film. 
Hey listeners, we just want to take a quick second here to thank you all for taking the time out of your day to come and listen to us banter on about movies and all things movie related. Yeah, it really does mean a lot to the both of us. We're always looking to improve our show to get our name out there and there's a couple of ways you can help us. Yeah, one of the easiest ways is to just get the word of mouth out there. You know, let your family and friends know about the show and where they can find us, which is pretty much everywhere. Places like Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and another personal favourite of mine, CastBox. And if you'd like to get a hold of us, you can contact us on Twitter at twitter.com slash imdbjourney, our Facebook page at facebook.com slash imdbjourney, or you can email us at imdbjourney at gmail.com. Exactly. Another way to help us out is to leave a five-star rating and review on iTunes for us. Now, as we've mentioned, we do have a bit of merch these days now, so we're going to start throwing this out to the listeners. Anyone who sticks in a five-star rating and review on iTunes for us, shoot us a DM with a screenshot and we'll send you out some merch. Yes, we will. We need those sweet, sweet five-star reviews. It's all about the charts. It's all about the charts. <laughs> yeah, we need to crack the top 50 in countries that aren't chilly. <laughs> <laughs> now, shout out to all the chilly listeners. Yes. Or if you're really loving the content and are looking for more, why not check out our Patreon, where we post another weekly show, breaking down films not on the IMDb Top 250 list. Yeah, that's right. What have we got coming up this week, Hendo? Well, Dean, like we mentioned, we're doing our breakdown of Toy Story 3 on the main show, and it would seem a bit weird if we didn't do something with Toy Story 2. So we're taking a quick break from the Tarantino film series to give the patrons a review of Toy Story 2. Here we are. For me, it's uh, it's one of the trilogy that I've... I don't know, it gets forgotten. Like, I have think about one a lot, think about three a lot. Two's just the odd man out in the middle for me. Well, I'm sure after our review, you'll have a better take on your feelings for it. Absolutely. So if that sounds like something you'd be interested in, head on over to patreon.com slash imdbjourney and check out the myriad of rewards and benefits we have to offer. All right, now it's time for... We may still have mail. Mail, mail, mail. Here it is. And this could be it. And shockingly, shockingly, Dean, there were no reviews for Sherlock Jr. Except for... He's come through for us, mate. All right, here we go. You really have to hand it to silent films from the 20s. This should probably be unwatchable. But instead, there's more laughs here than in most comedies today. Very similar to City Lights, though City Lights had a broader scope to it. More could have been done to flesh out the characters and develop the storyline. As a physical presence on screen, Buster Keaton is pretty much as good as Charlie Chaplin. The humour is mostly shrugged off and slapstick, but there are a few gut punches where I was laughing hysterically. What an ending! That's my... Excellent! Way way better than Infernal Affairs as well, in case anyone was wondering. Yeah, sorry again that uh, you watched Infernal Affairs there. Shane Shane got the jump really quickly. (laughs) Watched Infernal Affairs and then realised, oh, I didn't have to do this. That is entirely Hendo's fault (laughs) and... I apologise on his behalf. All right, let's get into... That's my question! The question, jerk! Where we asked you, what is your top five black and white films? And of course, whoever gets the closest to our joint list will win some sweet, sweet merch. So we'll go through a couple of lists of people who had movies that none of them made our top five. We've got one here from Restore the Republic, in no particular order, Double Indemnity, Seven Samurai, Broadway Danny Rose, Touch of Evil, and Manhattan. Next up from B. Garner, Edward, Dr. Strangelove, Roma, The Artist, and Francis. Ha! <laughs> I think it's Francis Ha. That's it's what I that, said. It's not that funny. From Hoovie Tube, The Apartment, Sunset Boulevard, Citizen Kane, Double Indemnity, and Some Like It Hot. Next up, from the Don't Let the Tawam Get You, Stranger Than Paradise, The Awful Truth, The Petrified Forest, 
Sullivan's Travels, and Smart Money. Hendo, have you heard of any of them? I was about to say, I have never heard of any of them. Hmm. Paula Hammond says The Big Sleep, Night of the Demon, Frankenstein, Seventh Seal, and Touch of Evil. Big Sleep is good. I think Touch of Evil is good from memory. Next up from JD at the In Session Film Podcast, Citizen Kane, The 400 Blows, Modern Times, Ikiru, and Bicycle Thieves. I've seen all five of those, and they range from great to not good, in my humble opinion, of course. On the other in-session film side of the spectrum, Brendan Cassidy says Ikaru, City Lights, Paitha Panchali, To Kill a Mockingbird, and Ivan's Childhood. Lastly on Twitter, from Who Killed Teresa, Diabolique, Wages of Fear, Palm Beach Story, Greed, and The Night of the Hunter. All right, over on our Facebook page, we only had one that had none of ours on there, from Josephine Olnitz. It happened one night, The Thin Man, Casablanca, The Kid, and Top Hat. Now, thank you very much, everyone, who put in your top five black and white films there. But, Dean, let's get to our top five black and white films. Individual list first. All right, Dean, what's your number five? My number five. The movie I only saw once, but really wish I'd, I would get round to watching it again because I really, really like it. It is Casablanca. Ah, very good. Just missed my list, unfortunately. But my number five is the film that won the best 1950s film tournament, 12 Angry Men. Ah, good pick. That is my number four. Nice. Good to see we're on board with that one. My number four is Citizen Kane. Mm, Not a fan? Uh, I I probably need to rewatch it, but when I watched it, I wasn't. Uh, My number three is Psycho. Psycho. Incredible film. Not on my list. What? Because my number three is Raging Bull. My number two is Sin City. Sin City number two. Oh, yeah. Damn. That's high. It's Sin City, so yeah. Well, I know you're going to have the same reaction because my number two is Clerks. Yeah. Bloody love Clerks. I know you do. That's right. It's pathetic. Uh, And my number one, without any doubt, is Raging Bull. And my number one is Schindler's List. Exquisite film. Exquisite? Yes. Yeah, that would be my number six. Okay. Yeah. So that brings us to our joint rankings. Now, we just went off a simple point structure here. The top spot gets five points all the way down to number five that gets one point. And this is the list that we came up with. At number five, we had 12 Angry Men. Number four was Clerks. Number three was Sin City. Number two was Schindler's List. And number one is Raging Bull. Nice. With Psycho at number six for an honorable mention. Nah, it's a good list. All right. Who got close, Endo? Let's do our top three here. All right. And our number three spot on Twitter is Milstead on Movies, who went with from five to one. Sunset Boulevard, Raging Bull, Casablanca, 12 Angry Men, and Schindler's List. So you end up getting three films out of the five. Mm. So well done there, mate. All right, number two is Paul from the Countdown Podcast. From number five, The Maltese Falcon, Clerks, Psycho, 12 Angry Men, and Schindler's List. So you smashed three of the five and got the honourable mention in number six. Well done, Paul. Very close. Very close. But not close enough. Our number one managed to smash... Four of our five films, and it is a patron. It is. What are, what are the odds? <laughs> I know. <laughs> it is Mr. Hayden Gerloff. Well done, Hayden. From five to one, he's gone Clerks, To Kill a Mockingbird, Raging Bull, 12 Angry Men, and Schindler's List. Solid list there, mate. Nearly got them all. But that's enough for the win, so we'll ship you out some merch, buddy. And for this week's top five, in the spirit of Toy Story 3, we're going to go give us your top five threequels. So... We're talking the third film in a trilogy. Best third films in a trilogy. Do you understand this one, Dean? I do. I just wonder, do you say best third film in a trilogy? 
Yes. So if there's four films, it's not the third film? Hmm. I think it should be third film in a series. Okay, uh, yeah, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Just, yeah, third film in any any sort of film. How are we treating Star Wars? Are they broken up into old trilogy and new trilogy? Yes. Okay. So Jedi and Revenge of the Sith. Yep. And Rise of Skywalker. No. (laughs) Please don't put Rise of Skywalker. No, I think this is going to be uh, another decent list. No, I think it will be. There's a lot of uh, solid third films. I think our list will be a bit more sporadic as well. Really? Yeah. I don't know. I just just feel like it's going to be. We'll see. We'll see. There's this tournament. Let the tournament begin! All right, Dean, it's time to look at the matches of the final eight in our best 1970s film tournament. All right, the first match here is the number one seed, The Godfather, taking on the number eight seed, Taxi Driver. Wow. Holy shit. Two of the all-time greats. That is going to... Oh, that, I mean... We're going to see like another 51% win here? Oh, I kind of feel like there's probably more love for the Godfather out there. Well, who knows? We'll find out. We'll see. Next up, we've got the number four seed, Star Wars, A New Hope, taking on the number five seed, Apocalypse Now. The next match we got here is the number two seed, The Godfather Part 2, taking on what is the underdog story now? Number 10, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. God, imagine if that gets through. Well, who knows? That would be quite the laugh. (laughs) And finally, we have the number three seed, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, up against the number six seed, Alien. I think that's going to be an interesting match. There's a lot of love for Alien out there. There is, there is. Could go either way. We're both masters. Who won? How did it end? All right, Dean, let's check out the results of the Pod v Pod 21 movie draft against Brenton and Danielle from We Are DB in our True Crimes film draft. And for anyone who didn't know, they were Team 1 and we were Team 2. And they had Alpha Dog, Catch Me If You Can, Dog Day Afternoon, Donnie Brasco, and The Untouchables. And we had Goodfellas, The Wolf of Wall Street, Zodiac, Monster, and Spotlight. And let's take a look at some responses here. Matt Neglier, the next Best Picture podcast, says IMDb Journey. Joe Stevenson says IMDb Journey easily. The Movie Drone podcast says IMDb Journey, even though I love Dog Day Afternoon. Thanks for your vote, Steve. A podcast about something says I voted We Are DB because Alpha Dog is so good. Sound a little monotone with that one there, Dean. Well, it's it's just hard to sense the tone in uh in tweets sometimes. We watch a thing just had two just written for a very long time. If only they voted for us that many times. Dreezy says IMDB journey mainly on the strength of Goodfellas and Zodiac. That's all you need. Ah, Wolf of Wall Street too. Have they made a sequel? That's to, right. To I, either? I said it. <laughs> the short and sweet film reviews says hashtag Donnie Brasco. So I guess that's a vote for We Are DB. Mackenzie Lambert says Goodfellas and Zodiac. IMDB Journey got this. Although props to We Are DB for the untouchables. Mikhail Fowl says one team has my two all-time favourite films ever. Goodfellas and Zodiac. I have to assume you voted for us. And lastly, from Plumers Peter, IMDB Journey without hesitating. Now, there is a lot of responses to us, but that doesn't always equate to the percentage. No, it does not. And unfortunately, well, sorry, and fortunately, you know what I mean. We won. We did win. 75% to the IMDB Journey podcast. Once again, another win, another one in the books, undefeated. Come at us, guys. Let's get another one going. All right, Dean, that's going to do it today, mate. Yes, it will. It's a fun little episode there. Which every movie we did went for 44 and a half minutes. This could very well be the best movie I've ever seen that goes for 44 minutes. Could be the only film you've seen that goes for 44 minutes. Don't be ridiculous. (laughs) 
<laughs> sure there's many a Batman animated film I've seen. Oh, boy. For 44 minutes. It may as well just be episodes. I mean, the problem is we're getting TV shows now that are consistently putting out episodes that are an hour and 10 minutes long. Yeah, even an hour and a half. And yeah. yeah. They're basically like... They're basically movies, but they're TV shows. Yeah. I've started watching Chernobyl now. Have you? Yep. All I did see... When they see us. When they see us. Yeah, so I pretty much mirror what you said. It's it's a fantastic miniseries. Really is. Yeah. All right, that's going to do it. It is. There will not be a Pod V Pod next week, so no guest, but we will be back for our breakdown of Toy Story 3. Bye.